continual emphasis on living by faith and not by sight, and cluing into the fact that there's more going on than we realize all the time. And, you know, he's written this letter to this church uh, for a number of reasons, um, mostly, uh, mo- most of them being very dramatic, uh, because there's lots of drama in the church, and so... Um, you know, he was there for a year and a half, and now he's elsewhere, and there's all these problems going on. And uh, In particular, there's a group of people who are causing lots of division and stuff. And so he has a lot of reasons for writing it, but he has this way of, uh, as he's correcting, um, he's discipling. And that's probably why the root of discipline is, and disciple are so right, right there, you know? Like, it's the same thing. And so um, when correcting and disciplining this church... As he's pastoring them from afar, he's he's teaching them and growing them and letting Christ use him to shape this church into a congregation, a group of a gathering of believers that looks like him. And and I think the thing that he just brings into everything is um, there's more going on than meets the eye. You're you're thinking in such a way that is uh, very much uh, it's self-centered but not in a you know evil demonic kind of way you're just looking at things in a like in like through like a tunnel and that's what i talked about a couple weeks ago it was like it's like tunnel vision and i was talking about how i tried to rip the cardboard thing out of a paper towel roll right before we came in and i couldn't do it because i'm weak and uh, but i was thinking about like looking down that and so a friend of mine brought me this and this is even better like if you're looking down this i'm looking at matt lawrence and he's a handsome dude and he's uh but, like, all I can see is Matt. And there's a lot more to this room than just Matt when I'm looking at it this way. And that's tunnel vision. As you look and you always see what's at the end of that tunnel, when there's there's, a, there's so much more going on out there than anything else. And so, I mean, he's, he's covered suffering and affliction. He's covered uh, church discipline. He's covered uh, the gospel and the new covenant. He's covered heaven. And all these topics, as he's correcting some things and and just discipling them through this letter, every single time it comes down to the fact that they're looking at it like this, and they need to take that down and realize that there's a bigger story being written. There's a whole, just a whole other group of things that are going on. And when we take that down, um, you see the big picture and you realize, oh, that's what affliction and suffering is. So that's what the new covenant is. That's what the gospel really is. That's what church discipline is really all about. That's what, what heaven and all that kind of stuff. And so he's just constantly trying to get them to live by faith and not by sight. And we are people who are prone to live by sight. And so tonight, we, uh, I was planning on trying to cover the whole rest of chapter 5 tonight. 
so that we can start uh, Advent stuff next week, but it's just not possible. There's just too much richness in the text, so we'll split it up. Um, but tonight, he, you know, he's covered all these kind of topics, and, and I think tonight um, he gets into what I would consider to be maybe uh, a little more just, just life in general, you know. So he's expressing himself from from the standpoint of uh, like the criticism that he's been receiving. That in this Corinthian church, now that he's gone, there's been these other leaders come in and try to do some things and constantly trying to discredit him and saying that he's not really an apostle and he wasn't really teaching you correctly and all this kind of stuff. And so they're causing all this division. And so Paul is responding uh, in part again to that kind of criticism. But what he's really doing, I think, is just he's just sharing his perspective on life of living by faith and not by sight. And I think this is just more general than some of the other topics he's, he's been into. So let's look at this text. Let's see what kind of what comes out of it. So we're going to start in verse 10 of chapter 5 from last week uh, because it, just, it all really just runs together. Uh, verse 10 says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. But what, we are, but what we are is known to God, and I hope is known also to your conscience. We're not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you cause to boast about us, so that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearance and not about what is in the heart. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. The love of Christ controls us because we've concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died. And you can probably already hear that same theme of living by faith and not by sight and the idea that there's, there's just more going on. There's just more to consider than looking down life, down that, that tunnel. And, um, and so he's, a lot of this, he's addressing his critics. And some of you may, like, you may be right in there with him. You might be able to identify really well um, with uh, people being critical of you. Maybe, you know, there's some relational stuff going on or whatever. Um, even going into the season of Advent and the way that we've begun to approach it through Advent Conspiracy, maybe some of this criticism is, like, from your, your family members or your friends directly, you know, um, as, as you're trying to be obedient, you know, and and really like have a have an advent season that looks like Jesus that's not going to always be re- received really well and so maybe maybe you're going to anticipate the criticism to come um, but but I think these same things apply to just life in general I think it's it's perspective it's it's learning how to not have that tunnel vision that, that you know terminates on us so so look at verse 11 and he's talking he's this is just flows from the previous one about the standing before the judgment seat of Christ. And so he's still, you know, thinking, all right, there's this going to be this moment for every one of us where we stand in front of Jesus. And that day is coming. And everybody on the planet is going to have that moment in front of Jesus. And what's going to happen in that moment is Jesus is basically going to say, let's examine the fruit of your life to see what what you're going to do with me. And like I said last week, I think that, that that time in front of the Lord being judged, I mean, that divine judgment um, is going to look different for everybody. And I don't care what yours looks like necessarily. What I have to be concerned with is mine. 
because I don't know what yours is going to look like or somebody else on the other side of the planet or all this kind of stuff. We can speculate and all this kind of stuff all we want. All I know is that moment, like I said last week, is, is going to look like the Jesus that's revealed in Scripture, like the character of the God that we know. So that moment is going to be holy and it is going to be just and it's going to be full of love. And we're just going to leave it at that. What I have to concern myself with is living in such a way that I don't pretend like that's not going to happen. You know? And as we minister and as we share with people when we live life, we have, to, we have to keep in mind that that moment is going to happen for everybody that we ever meet. Everybody's going to experience that. But what that's going to look like, that's, between, that's up to God. And so I just I want to make sure that I'm doing all I can to make everybody's judgment in front of the Lord um, great. I can't control it. I have to think about me and what that's going to look like. So in verse 11, it says, Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, okay? Not fear like, you know, um, yeah, not like Saw 7, you know, in 4D, fear. Like, fear as in, like, we shouldn't be terrified of that moment, but there should be a part of us that kind of. Like your stomach kind of does something weird when you think about standing in front of Jesus and he says, let's, let's examine what kind of fruit your life produced. That kind of reverent awe, um, just, I mean, it should just be something that, that excites you and makes you a little nervous. It says, therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. That's what he's saying about their ministries. Like, knowing that's going to happen, we persuade others. We want everybody to know that that's going to happen. And this is what he's going to be looking for. I mean, this, when he says, let's look at the fruit of your, that your life has produced, this is what he's looking for. I said last week, let's say it's lemons. Like, this, this is, he's looking for lemons. This is how that happens. He wants to see this kind of fruit. And they're trying to persuade other people, like making no bones about it. But we want everybody to be able to stand in that moment and have lemons, and, uh, and tons of them, branches hitting the ground, tons of them. That's what they want for everybody. And yeah, we're trying to persuade everybody, but it's because we're keeping that in mind. We're not, we're, we're, we're not trying to pretend like death isn't going to happen or divine judgment isn't going to happen. We're not trying to create all these other options and all these other alternatives. We're saying that that's going to happen, so let's let that drive us forward into the world. I mean, what a great perspective. We're talking about no tunnel vision. I mean, keeping that in mind is, is crucial. Knowing, therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. But what we are is known to God. And I hope it is known also to your conscience. And what, what we are, okay, who I am is known to God. And, and I, hope, I hope that you know it too. But no, notice the order there. Notice the, the precedence that, that God takes in his evaluation of himself. You know, it's almost like he's saying, um, I examine my life with that moment in mind. And in that moment, the only thing that matters is what, what Jesus has to say. And I hope everybody else is, is able to like, see that in my life and applaud that in my life. And I hope all that stuff is great. And I hope everybody knows it. But he is what matters. When I was in, in college... Don't be jealous, but I was a French horn major. And uh, 
I don't like to brag about it too much, but I was a uh, I was a French horn player, and uh, it's mostly because uh, by the ninth grade uh, I was good enough, and my dad was a band director, so he knew French horn players are very rare, and so they put me in like private lessons with the the professor at LSU, and so in the school of music every every major instrument has a professor who's like a pro, right? And so in ninth grade I started studying with this guy. His name was Richard F. Norm, and he was awesome. And he was like this, this older guy, he was like a, like a grandpa figure or whatever. And so I was started going once a week, driving out to LSU uh, as a ninth grader, and was taking French horn lessons from the professor at LSU. So all four years of high school, I did that. And then the end of my sophomore year in college, he announced that he was going to retire. And uh, so I've, I've had six years with this guy, and um, so he announces his, re- his retirement. And they launched this uh, nationwide search for his replacement. The LSU School of Music is like fairly legit. And um, so, no, I mean, you know, I'm saying, I don't know, it's like number 17. How do you even know that? But, uh, but no, when I say nationwide search, I just want to sound pretentious. But uh, they, uh, so they look all around they, and they bring in this candidate. And what they want to do is they want to watch this guy teach. And so they, um, they ask me to like, show up on whatever day, come in, and I would play the French horn, and this guy would then critique me and work with me and try to make me better. And at first, I was like, wow, they picked me out of all these people. But then I realized, like, uh, it's because you would not put a, like, well, well-shaped well vase in front of a sculptor. Uh, you would put a, like, cruddy-looking lump of clay and see what they could do. So, um, <laughs> and so I was the lump of clay, and, uh, and so I just... I didn't, I was like, I'm pr- pretty sure I lived like the majority of my life in a, in a haze. Like I just wasn't even paying attention to stuff until it was right happening. So I just kind of like walked in this room thinking it would be like the new guy and maybe like the search committee, which is like three of the professors. No, 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 no. There's like 50 people in this room. And it's every, every faculty member in the school of music and like the dean of the school of music and like all these like people or whatever. And uh, so I walk in, I'm like, oh, goodness. And so... Um, and so I, uh, I play something, I don't even remember, and he says, you know what, he said, and now keep in mind, I'm a sophomore in college, so like, I know I've arrived, right, I know everything that there is to know, and he says, you know what, he says, you, he said, you did a good job, but thank you, and, uh, and I thought that I had, you know, and uh, he said, you played that like a really, like, decent high school French horn player, um, and so right then I was like, this ain't the guy. We ain't, we ain't, getting, we ain't getting this dude. Forget that. Uh, and so he started doing stuff, whatever. And it was like, I mean, it was just the, just the punch in the gut I was not ready for. And, uh, and so it was terrible. You know, it was just terrible. And so uh, this guy came in, and then another guy came in, another guy. And every time somebody came in, like, I was one of the guinea pigs that they used. And so, um, but what happened over the, by the, by the, like, the fifth candidate, which was, like, the last one, um, I just completely stopped caring, you know, like I was like, I'm going to do my best and whatever happens. And, and here's why, because, um, uh, that first time I played and that dude insulted me like that and it got really awkward and I, you know, whatever, uh, I was all embarrassed. Um, my professor was beaming, like not, I mean, not in a, like a weird kind of way or not, whatever. He wasn't like putting on a front, like he was genuinely proud of me and he was not the kind of man who would who would fake that you know he wouldn't uh, he just it just wasn't his way 
And I'd been studying with him for six years, and so I knew him. If he said, you did a good job, you did a good job. And by the fifth time, I I didn't care what the person said. As long as that dude came up to me afterwards and he was proud of me, that's all that mattered. I think that's a lot of what Paul's getting at here. He's like, look, um, I'm going to stand in front of of God and he, he knows who I am. And I hope that you guys see it too and all that kind of stuff. But at the end of the day, that's all I care about. Because I want Jesus to look at, at, at me and say, let's look at the fruit that your life produced. And I want him to see just all those lemons there. And he would say, well done, good and faithful servant. Come into the kingdom that's been prepared for you from the beginning of time. Like, that's it. You talk about going from tunnel vision to seeing the big picture and that reframing everything. Awesome. It's incredible. Look at the next one. We're not commending ourselves to you again because he's already done that in chapter 3. Like he's already told them, look, I don't have a letter of recommendation because you are a living letter. Like you are the proof that God has called me to do what I'm doing. So I don't need letters. Um, and his critics were saying, this guy doesn't have the credentials. And he's saying, sure I do. It's a room full of credentials. So we're not commending ourselves to you again but giving you cause to boast about us so that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearance and not about what is in the heart. These critics came in, they had all this external stuff and all these things. They were real into uh, credentials and lineage and like, can he perform miracles and is he eloquent enough and why is he getting persecuted so much and all this kind of stuff. And they had all these things that aren't important. And Paul's basically telling them, like, look, you, you know me? And I, I, like, you know me well enough to know um, that that kind of stuff isn't, isn't what's important. And you know the gospel well enough to know that it's, it's about the heart. It is not about outward appearances. So you need to be able to stand up to them and tell them the truth. Because you know better. You know that it's not about the external stuff. That it's about what's going on inside the heart. I mean, that's another perspective shift that I I fight that so much for some reason. But, I mean, when, when Vernon gets up, you know, and we're talking about how does Jesus feel about those boys, it's a part of the answer. Is that we we jump to all this external stuff and their condition and what's happened and all these kind of things or whatever, but we're, we're going for heart. We're going for heart change. Paul says these guys are coming in there talking about all this external stuff. Inward life. Because the outward life is wasting away. But renewal is happening daily, inside, inside, inside. And that's what matters. Next verse. Verse 13, for if we are beside ourselves, it's for God. If we're in our right mind, it is for you. Okay? So um, when he's talking about being beside himself or in his right mind, uh, part of the criticism he was trying to field is that people thought Paul, Paul was crazy. And some of that is because he just he's had some unique experiences with the Lord. 
but I think we can all relate. I mean, maybe we wouldn't like word it this way, and there's certainly lots of Greek to English, you know, gaps there, but um, talking about being out of his mind, you ever just been caught up in maybe worship through song or a time of prayer or time in the word or just you're just looking at nature or you're just there's just a time where you just get caught up and you just have this experience with the Lord that is it's, it's like it's you and him like there's no one else around nothing else is important nothing else matters it's just there you're just caught up in it I think we're saying is like you know what when when that happens like it's it's about God it's not about other people And then, like when I'm focused, that's that's for ministry. And that's when I, that's for other people. Differentiating between like those personal experiences and those corporate ones, but the critics he was receiving, they were like all about, oh, you gotta, you know, they're kind of wearing it as a badge. They were coming in and they were trying to take over this church and all this leadership and stuff, and they were, they were saying, well, I mean, I can do this miracle or I can do whatever, I can do all this kind of stuff. And what about Paul? What did he ever do? Oh, he was just crazy. He just, you know. Jesus made him on a road, you know. That's why I didn't have a letter. Paul was just saying, like, look, what what happens with me and the Lord, that's that's for us. But when I'm when I'm preaching, when I'm ministering, when I'm interacting with people and discipling, like I'm I'm all there. So I'm not gonna wear I'm not gonna wear those experiences as badge. I'm not gonna push people to have the same experience as I do. We encounter that all the time. You know, people are like, oh, if you, you know, if, if you can't do this or your, your experience looks like, doesn't look like this, then you don't really know God and all this kind of bull. And what he's really coming back down to is like, look, remember, don't forget, you're going to stand in front of God and he's the one that knows you and his approval is what matters. So don't worry about the, your different experiences and different things and all that kind of stuff, keep that in mind. Because the Lord is looking at your heart. Remember when they were looking for a king in the Old Testament? Don't look for the things man looks looks for. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Outward appearance, tunnel vision. Take it down, it's the heart. It's the king. That's Jesus. And then he, he drives this home in these last two verses. We'll treat these as the same because I think it helps us understand it better. Verse 14, for the love of Christ controls us because we've concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all that those who live, okay, remember that part, those who live might no longer live for themselves but for him who for their sake died and was raised. All right. 14 says, for the love of Christ controls us, right? The love of Christ um, is, is talking about the way that Christ loves us. When you look at the context of those two verses, you put them together, he's driving at the death and resurrection of, of the cross. I mean, the, the, like, the, the passion events, okay? The crucifixion, the resurrection, all that kind of stuff. That's the way that God expresses his love to us. So the, he says the love of, of Christ He's not talking about like the concept that God is love. He's talking about the, the specific example of like Jesus on the cross, death, burial, resurrection, that deal. The love of Christ controls us. I looked up that word control, and the original language 
it has like all kinds of different definitions that kind of all come down to the same thing. Um, control, yes, um, but also to hold. And, and it gave two analogies. One was was when you when you take like uh, like a cow or a horse or something like that, and you're trying to if they were trying to uh, like inject medicine or something like that, and you would like you'd have like like the the fence rail set up, and you would like narrowly like try to push this cow into this deal where the cow just like stuck. So you can give it shots, you can do whatever you need to do. And also says the same thing if a if a boat is coming along and the and the channel narrows and it's like the straight is coming along and then the boat is like in this has nowhere else to go but like straight down this canal or whatever. Like that narrowing down and then the boat has no option but to stay on this path. It's, it's to hold something like that, to control it. So he's saying that the, the cross controls him like a boat being forced down this path or like a cow being forced into this thing. It holds him. And I was just really captivated by that, you know? Like how, what does that even mean? I mean, I get it, but then I don't get it. One of the commentaries I read, it said... That, the cross is a dominating, dominating thing to Paul. Like when I begin to think about that and to meditate on that or to sing about that or anything about it, I am completely just held by it. That is what determines everything that I do. That's what determines how I approach something or think about something. Whatever. Like it was a dominating concept to Paul. That just blows my mind, you know? But it blows my mind in a way that's just incredibly challenging, you know? As you just think about daily life. I mean, to be like controlled that way. Like, you just can't get it off your mind. You just can't stop thinking about it to the point where it it drives you in a specific direction. That's what I like about the boat deal because it's like it narrows you down, but you got to go somewhere, and now it's bringing you somewhere very, very specific and very, very intentional. And that's what he says. Uh, the love of Christ controls us, as we concluded, one die for all, and this and so, so that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him. That's, that's where it's going, okay? We'll come back to that in a second. But look what it says. Um, this is the conclusion that they've come to. This is his summation of the gospel, that one has died for all. A lot of people think that that was kind of, kind of a saying of the day that existed in the church. Like that was a, their summary of the gospel. One died for all. So the one would be Jesus. Died would be you know, the cross and all that stuff. Um, for, that particular word is, um, it brings in... Uh, like substitution and representative. Those two ideas, when that word is used in the context of, of Jesus and the cross, the idea of substitutionary atonement comes in. So Jesus died as a substitute for all. And that word all, um, all doesn't necessarily mean all, all the time. The context determines what all means right there. And that's one of the things that I hope, I hope that we continue to learn as a church is how to study the Bible and recognize the fact that like, 
You don't just pull a verse out and be like, this is my life verse. You know? You need to know where your life verse fits into that paragraph and that chapter and that letter and, and in history and all these other kind of things. Um, so the context determines it. And that's why, so remember that part that those who live, that's what tells us what that this particular all means in this particular, these two particular verses. One died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all that those who live, right? So that all, that's talking about believers. One died for all. Those of us who have looked at the gospel and the veil's been lifted and all, Jesus holding the mirror, remember all that stuff? Those of us who have, have expressed uh, faith in Christ and who he is and what he's done. And we have been redeemed and we're saints and all that kind of stuff. That's, that's the all that these verses are talking about. One died for all. So everybody died. So his death was our, was our death. So Josh died that day with Jesus. Sounds strange. But that's really when, when my life ended and a new life began. And this is what that new life looks like. This is what that boat being forced down that channel looks like. That those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. I mean, to be controlled by the love of Christ. And for that to be what drives you to live for him. So as, as life moves down that channel, being controlled like that, that's the purpose. That's the point. And so he's worked his way through this paragraph, going from standing before the judgment seat of God to the fact that God is the, is the only one whose uh, approval matters. Why? Because we live to please him. And critics are going to try to come in and say weird things. They're going to try to get you to focus on all this stuff that does not matter. And none of that stuff matters. This is what matters. The love of Christ that is controlling you and leading you into a life that is just no longer lived for yourself. For him. I think there's so many times when, when we are we're trying to figure out, okay, how does this work? And how do I need to do this? And all this kind of stuff. Look, when, when these verses become real to us, when, when the, like, the cross of Christ becomes a controlling thing to us, our natural response is to live for him, um, that, that will make you a better husband, a better wife, a better uh, single person, a more content person at work, a better uh, friend, a better, I mean, every, everything about it, I mean, it just, it changes everything. Because what you're doing is you're taking that tunnel vision away. You're saying, oh, here's, here's the big story. Jesus. Here's the big story is the kingdom. And my little life fits into this great big picture. And that changes suffering and affliction. That changes everything I understand about heaven. And that's what the new covenant is. And that's what the gospel is. And that's just life. That constantly we're trying to, people are trying to tell us, put... Put the two back up. Focus on this little thing. Focus on what, what you look like or what you do or how much you make or, or what you're wearing, all this kind of stuff. And that's all bull. And that's what Paul's saying is take it down. Take it down. Stop getting worked up about it. Stop working so hard on your outward life that your inward life is just wasting. Stop. 
How do we do that? I think we zero in on what he's saying. The love of Christ controls me. Every t- I mean, every time I just read it, think about it, even just repeating it, man, I, I want to like, be there. I'm so tired of living for myself. I'm so tired of, of the fight and the struggle and whatever. Like, I, I am a saint. I'm able to access the old nature and all that kind of stuff. I, I don't want to. I want to starve the flesh. I want to feed the spirit. I want to grow. I want the love of Christ to be a controlling thing. I want it to dominate me. I think Jesus says, well, I, yeah, abide. I'm the vine, you're the branches. Using me bears much fruit. I think Paul is sharing with this church and by the sovereignty and grace of God with us too. The way that he abides. I think he focuses on the cross of Christ. Not just when you do the Lord's Supper, not just when you sing, Oh, the wonderful cross. It's I think it's a it's consuming to him. And chances are, you're not going to flip that switch. You're not going to jump from wherever you are to be dominated 24-7 by it. I think that's something that God shapes and forms in us. So let's begin the shaping and forming process even more. T.J. Mahaney, he says, look, last thing before you go to bed, meditate on the cross. First thing when you wake up in the morning, meditate on the cross. you got to drive to work. Find a way to meditate on the cross. Find a way that the cross of Christ should be a part of every day of our lives. That's the opposite of tone. That's the, that, and that's where I feel like God is, is constantly, I think he's just, just hacking away on, on that with us as a church. I think he's used different topics, but if you, if you go back and listen to the podcast, pretty much every week we talked about the same thing. The same truths have come in, just kind of just different topics, different whatevers. I think he's trying to get something through to us. I don't think he's trying to beat us up. I don't think he's trying to, like, just drop the hammer on us or whatever. I think he's trying to say, look, that, look, you, you keep kind of living like, like this. Like this for a while, and you're like, oh, look, that's real pretty. And you go back to it, and you're like, oh, man, kingdom of God. Okay. And you keep going back and forth and back and forth. He's saying, look. Don't just, don't just take that down on Sundays and maybe a community group and here and there. You, you can get rid of this. I'm not because Debbie gave it to me. I'm not going to get rid of this. I think he's saying as a, as a metaphor, <laughs> you can get rid of that. I think Paul, I don't think he would be saying, like, sometimes the love of Christ just really just controls me. He's saying No. It controls me. I think Jesus wants to bring us there. Let's pray. What a what an incredible, incredible passage of scripture that seemed I mean, Lord, you know this, I almost just kind of just ran through it too quickly, trying to get to the next one. Father, I, I, I mean, 
in reality, I mean, in, in our true identity, as 100% our desire to be controlled by you. I think living for ourselves is just exhausting. We get so worked up about about decisions and money and stress and scheduling and all the worries of the world just pile up so much and we're looking at them down that tunnel. And then we're trying to pursue holiness and grow and disciple and live missionally and all this stuff. It's just crazy. Father, help us to simplify and come down to what is important. take that tunnel vision down and just to, to get to where we see as much of the big picture as you want to let us in on all the time. May that begin with focusing on who you are as revealed to us through Jesus. Pray God that this would not be an occasional deal for us. They would, we would see this as an abiding life. That we would abide and remain. That your life would flow into ours and that fruit would be produced however you see fit, however much you want, that we would just remain. pray, Father, we just take a few minutes and respond that you would um, maybe just make something come alive in us. Maybe stir up some questions that lead to conversations we can have. God, maybe there are some here tonight who don't know if they're, they don't know what that conversation standing in front of you would look like. I pray that that, that would lead to conversation tonight. That light would shine out of darkness in so many ways. God, as we respond now corporately, I just pray that you would have your, your way in our minds and hearts. We love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. And here's what we're going to do. We're going uh, to sing, because that's kind of our deal. And I uh, said this one time a while back, and I want, just want to say it again. I feel like uh, the parable of the sower, you know, the seeds go out, falls on on different kinds of soil that represents the heart. There's all kind of different conditions in here or whatever. But there's in the parable there's a bird that comes and takes the seeds away. Um, and that's it. We have an enemy who wants to distract. And uh, so I just feel like sometimes when when God stirs things up and the church stands and just we just sing our guts out. Uh, I think that's a way of putting dirt on top of those seeds so that the bird can't find them. Because uh, he's pretty crafty, and his forces are pretty, and they come in and they can lie and they can do whatever, but I, I think there's just something sealing about doing it this way. So uh, so we're going to stand, and we're just going to sing. If you want to pray afterward, talk afterward, we'll do that then. Y'all stand on up. Let's, let's just do it. <laughs>